Hello there, welcome to Loons Weekly, a match day preview podcast presented by Minnesota United. Callum Williams here, alongside some really intriguing individuals. Alongside me, the most golden of former golfers, Kindra D. St. Aubin, joins us. And the man with the most ripest smile in Minnesota is now alongside us, but Jamie Watson's actually away doing his ICC stuff and, and is somewhere around the country. Still have absolutely no idea where he is. So joining us today, a very, very special guest, a man with no facial hair, yes. uh, Steve McPherson joins us. It's coming us. back. I see, but it's coming back. So. Well, you said the ripest smile, and I thought it was it was good. It was right on because I can actually see his smile with the yes. clean shaven. Well, that's you know? true. I, it's horrible. I hate the clean-shaven thing, but you got to do it. You so. do look pretty gruesome, mate. I'm it's, not yeah, going <laughs> to... It's brutal, so... Yeah, but I am happy to be here. It's very exciting. Uh, do, you, do you come up with a new goldenest of gophers for, for Kendra for each episode? Is um, It's kind of whatever rolls off your tongue. Sure. Yeah, you I, used I, that last week in, uh, in the premium space event thingy we had. Did I? Yeah, that's so a blur I, I to me. I can't like, remember. Well, that's, that's fine, but I just, you know, just bring it over to other areas. It's good. When we're doing Sound of the Loons, I think about it, you know, I, I try to come up with a good intro for Cal every time. And so, uh, there's only so many tough, names so. you can call them that are FCC approved. Right. Yes. Well, that's very, very true. Yes. Um, if, uh, if we were doing this uh, on our own, we could call each other whatever we wanted. But hey, <laughs> yes. maybe that's another podcast we do on another day. But yes, anyway. one of those road podcasts. Yes. We'll see how that goes, so. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get uh, on with the shall we first of all let's talk about the off week obviously minnesota united took a break because of international duties um but there were some games in major league soccer which we'll get to a little later on uh, kindra from from a, a player's perspective from both a player that's on international duty and a player that's not how does it affect things moving forward well first of all it was kind of nice that minnesota united actually had an international break at an international break because yeah. they've endured years the the past couple years where it's a quote-unquote international break but minnesota united still being one of the teams that's active and you could have five guys on international duty and we struggled mightily i believe it was two years ago against the new england revolution missing five of our top players so i think it was a good um break to kind of refresh especially in the middle of five road games so i can only really speak from the experience of what it was like for minnesota united at this time to you know have an international break but starting off with five on the road it kind of felt like you had a little break in there took a little breather the five guys went and did their thing in, in different parts of the world some of them played some of them did not you know you never know if that harms them or helps them from a fitness standpoint but that's a lot of traveling to not play um, but I think it was good for the guys that were here to kind of reset, regroup, have a really full week of training and fitness. There wasn't really a hard practice in three weeks, like a really, really tough practice because mm -hmm. they were playing on the weekend and then traveling on a Thursday, three weeks in a row with Vancouver, San Jose and LA. So to be able to have maybe a, a midweek training session that tested a little bit of their conditioning, do some fitness and, and then the guys that didn't play a lot on on uh, the weekends, put in a little bit more time and then give some of the pro days, the, the guys pro days that did put in the 90 minutes. So I think it was just a good little reset, a little press the button and refresh and get ready for New England. I think as well, Steve, psychologically, it's it's certainly going to play its part, isn't it, as well? But regardless if you're, you're flying all over the mm -hmm. world to, to mm -hmm. certain parts of it, all four corners of it, or you're sitting here in Minnesota still training, psychologically, it's going to mess with your brain slightly, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly going to, it's going to, it's hard to know how that's going to affect each individual guy or like what that then means for the team as a whole. I was talking to uh, Michael Boxel a little bit about it uh, this week at training and how, you know, this sort of coming at this moment, 
it can be kind of good because of before the season starts, you know, you only can know so much about what the team has, like how the team is going to play, mm-hmm. how things are going to work out. Um, then you get uh, three games. You sort of see some success. Mm-hmm. You see some things you have to do probably against the Galaxy. And then you have a little time to sort of like step back and, mm-hmm. and, and reassess. You've got to start, but now where do you go from there? So Because yeah. they've been in it, right, since, I mean, preseason, the draft. Yeah. Like, they've been thrown into this and traveling all over the place and and then right into the regular season. So this is kind of a good little a little refresh and a yeah. reset. And some of those guys who are new, I talked to Ike also, and, he, you know, he had just gotten into his place. Yes. He wasn't in the hotel anymore. <laughs> yes. And so that sort of time to be able to get out of that, you're sort of still in that transitional phase. Same with the rookies, yeah, you know, totally. time. So Such a nice feeling getting into your own place. Oh, my gosh. Like staying in the hotels. Hotel. Oh, my yeah. word. You know? I mean, it's nice that someone makes your bed every day. Oh, well, yeah. yes. But beyond that, you know, and, like, refreshes your towels and you're not doing laundry. But beyond that, oh, like, I, you're ready to be in your own space. I, I don't know. I'm a scumbag when I stay in hotels. <laughs> like, I, I just <laughs> leave the, <laughs> the do not disturb sign, you know. My bed doesn't get made for three days, you know. Yeah, the, it, Ike was saying that it, it, being a professional soccer player sort of ruined travel for him yeah. outside yeah. of being yeah. a soccer player yeah. because you know it, it, like for a lot of us um i don't go on the road that often you guys are on the road almost mm-hmm. every week but i'm i only go out a couple times uh, a season so for me i'm still sort of like we're going on vacation yeah. like yeah. with my family we're going to a hotel but i think ike sort of feels like man i spent so much time in hotels yeah. like i don't really want to <laughs> do it I, I we can probably agree with that yeah. can't we i, I uh-huh. must admit vacation now has completely uh-huh. been ruined for yeah. me I, when I just we have an off it. week it's kind of like, yeah, do we fly anywhere with fly, the family no. or do we not? You know <laughs> right, what I mean? You but you kind of want to go away with the family because it is different than, you know, or like with your significant other, your spouse, it's different than sure. traveling with the team. But, yeah, when you're in a hotel and on the plane that much, no. you're racking up those miles. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so some of the players, as we mentioned, obviously didn't travel international duty. There was a, a behind-closed-doors sort of scrimmage mm-hmm. uh, against Ford Madison, our USL affiliates, which Minnesota United ended up, w- ended up winning Kindra 1-0. Ethan Finley scored from the penalty spot. Uh, a good workout for many who needed it. They needed 90 minutes in a full-field 11-v-11 match. I mean, still unable to get outside yet due to the weather and the conditions, but still being able to play that full-field 11-v-11. I thought, you know, I think we were both really impressed with Forward Madison. I thought that they looked very good and very organized, and so it was a good test for... Um, the Minnesota United side, and um, for those guys just to get some time and, you know, new guys like Lawrence Olam to be thrown in in a game-type situation, not just in a training small-sided game, and and um, see Ethan Finley in full form and Abu Dinladi and going up against somebody else, not just against your teammates in training. So, you know, I think there were some bright spots, but not enough bright spots for me um, in that offensive third and, and attacking again, but that's also a group that doesn't play together all the time, and you know, you know, good to get the 90 minutes, good to get the game fitness, good to get all that, and um, but maybe not as dominant a performance as I would have hoped from from Minnesota United. Absolutely. Uh, lots of players, as you mentioned, on international duty. Let's run through the list quickly. Rasmus Schuller was away with Finland. Uh, Roma Metanel was away with Madagascar. Francisco Calvo with Costa Rica. Jan Gregos uh, with Slovakia. Romario Ibarra as well away with Ecuador. He played 45 minutes against Honduras the other night, but Prior to that, Kindra, he went 71 minutes against the United States. So whilst we're on the subjects of the U.S. men's national team, what did you take away from the two friendlies? Well, first of all, two very different games, in my opinion. I mean, Ecuador nearly barely ever crossed the halfway line. I mean, they were kind of content to sit in and 
didn't look threatening at all offensively. So Minnesota, or Minnesota, the United States had a different challenge in that match to try to break someone down that's bunkering in, which is a good challenge for, I think, them to face because you may face that in CONCACAF or in some other matchups where, you know, somebody might sit in a little bit and, and feel things out. So I, <clears throat> nothing earth shattering in that performance to me from the United States, but just a, a different challenge for them to try to break that down. And then Chile, I thought was a really fun game. Yeah. I thought they they came out, you know, high pressing, firing all cylinders, going after the United States. So I love Greg Berhalter at the half. He was like, I'm excited about this challenge. You don't normally hear a coach say that, you know, you go into a half, into a locker room, and but he was excited about trying to figure that out. The prospect of trying to figure this out and how you're going to fix things and break this down in the second half and it's always a little different for me, too, in friendlies because there's unlimited substitutions, essentially. So we're not seeing exactly what we would see if Greg Berhalter had to deal with a game that was counting and how he's going to manage that game with only three substitutions. But you're also understanding they're trying to see new players and, and see new faces and see how, you know, um, players are being brought in. And and um, the, the intensity of that match was a really fun, the Chile game. The Ecuador game was pretty boring to me, mm. but... Um, like I heard you say it at training this morning, and I agree with you. I thought Michael Bradley was fantastic, especially yes. in that Chile game, and he's been ripped on for quite a few years now. And um, I, I like him when he's a little bit higher up the field and he can distribute and kind of ping those balls over and <laughs> split the defense and hit diagonal balls in and create the attack and less of the defending. And so we'll see with Burhalter and what that what that brings for the summer and for Gold Cup. But it's at a very important couple friendlies for them. Absolutely, and, and I'm always a believer that if Michael Bradley has somebody alongside him who can do a lot of the running yes. for him and the protecting for yes. him, he's actually okay with the amount of space that he gains there. Yep. Christian Roldan did yep. that for mm -hmm. him. Um, Which is why he looked exhausted in the second half. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Roldan looked so tired tracking back on one of the turnovers in the second half. I and felt then he almost asked him to play out wide. Yes, I know you texted me that. You know, I was like, oh man, poor guy. Because, But I, I agree with you. Like when Bradley has a freedom and he's not tired because he's doing so much chasing in midfield, I think he can still do really well to distribute and pick out a pass and find the space in the wide areas. One player, Steve, that a lot of people were, were saying that should play alongside Michael Bradley is, is Tyler Adams. Mm. I, I was really, really intrigued to see what the U.S. did against Ecuador compared to what they did against Chile. I, I think um, Berhalter saw the opportunity against Ecuador to play Tyler Adams in this this new role um, as a right back but in transition operating as a central midfielder mm -hmm. I've only seen it a couple of times across world football I think it was Manchester City and Pep Guardiola who first did it mm -hmm. um, a year or so ago and then Peter Vermees tried it with with the fullbacks ironically against Minnesota United as well do you remember that game last year where Graham mm -hmm. Zeus against Sestanovic yes. pinched in so much and yeah. then they had multiple efforts yes. on goal um, and had it not have been for a, a good game from Bobby Shuttleworth, Minnesota could very well have been embarrassed. But I, I, I'm intrigued to see moving forward what they do with this Tyler Adams thing because you, you can play it against a certain opposition. Exactly. But I wonder if it's a World Cup qualifier mm. and it's mm -hmm. on the road um, to Costa Rica or, or Honduras. I wonder if, if that's the route that they'll go down. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see to me just because I enjoy, in sports in general, just as you begin to see... Uh, there's a lot of received wisdom that go into all kinds of sports. Um, you know, you saw it with things like you see it a lot in in football, American football, uh, because traditionally it's been a very conservative kind of sport. You know, there was like there was no going for it on fourth down for a long time. You know, after the West Coast offense was successful, 
everybody started playing the West Coast offense. It's like sort of a copycat league, and and things are accepted as being successful because a team won with that with that system. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the most efficient or the most effective as as analytics and things like that come into play. You begin to see teams mess around a little bit more with positionlessness, and that's obviously something that's happened in soccer with you know Ajax and total football and things oh, yes. like that. But you know the the sort of development of of people saying, oh well, Tyler Adams, he should he should play this position. It's like he's doing a lot of the things he would do at that position. It's just he's got a different label in front of his name like it's and that to me is interesting because it opens up mismatches it opens up overloads you know it's the kind of thing again you're saying with with, with sporting in Kansas City yeah uh, we saw that kind of thing where all of a sudden you have too many people to deal with but they're all capable of tracking back and if you can do both those things it, it just opens up the game to be more interesting and fun to watch we saw it with Nick Lima also uh, yes. you know so it's it's an interesting approach and I think it's you know, how successful it's going to be in competition versus stiffer competition or on the road, like you're saying, I'm not sure. As a fan watching it, it's just really interesting because it's a wrinkle that you get to you get to watch and sort of enjoy going, oh, I know what's going on here. So yeah. Honestly, though, I don't feel good enough about our back line for the United States men's national team to risk that kind of movement from an outside back going forward and getting central in transition against certain competition. Against Ecuador, I think they could make it work because there was no crazy threat offensively. But in that halftime piece with with Greg Berhalter and Taylor Twelman, and they broke down some of the footage of when somebody pinched in and they got out of position and Ecuador did try to transition quickly a couple times, they were left out hanging out to dry. Unfortunately, they weren't going against better competition that scored on them. So I think it, you know, Berhalter would have to pick his moments in his opposition of who he does that against because the back line for the men's national team has kind of been a, a – sore spot at a weak spot for a bit now to so until they kind of figure that out i think he would have to use it wisely well i wonder as well is this another possibility moving forward guys as well if if you have the two fullbacks moving into the center of the midfield if bradley or whoever is playing yeah. at the holding midfielder role drops and and you again you have that solidity of the three-man back line because we saw it didn't we against ecuador where Adams moved into the central midfield yeah. and Ream tucked in, so then you had yes. the three back line. Yep. I, I wonder if this is something that we'll see moving forward. And also as well, I, I thought it was interesting that when DeAndre Yedlin was announced as the right back mm -hmm. playing for the United States against Chile, everybody thought there's no way he's going to play this role. And he didn't. He played mm -hmm. a traditional, more modern-day fullback. But the, the one thing more than anything, I think, is, is it shows Kindra that Berhalter has an abundance of options moving forward, and, and, and the United States haven't had that luxury for some time. No, I think the flexibility tactically that Berhalter is sorting through right now, I think that is something that we haven't seen in, in quite some time from this team, and the willingness to move players around to different positions. Well, you're also not in a World Cup qualifying year yet, so I think there is a little bit of flexibility there. I mean, yes, you've got the Gold Cup coming up this summer, which is a huge deal, which is a big deal, but... He has a little time to play in these kind of friendlies and in the January friendlies when you only had MLS guys, essentially, and no international guys, to try to move these pieces around and have some tactical flexibility, bringing in these young guys that are willing and have grown up in these systems where you are positionless to a certain degree. I mean, think about how many years ago the outside backs never even got forward. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there was a time where if you were an outside back, you stayed home, and it was a flat four or, yeah, yeah. I mean, God forbid, we talk I about stoppers and sweepers. <laughs> and you know? I, I never went forward. <laughs> right. So that, that's unheard <laughs> put me of. there because I would do the least damage. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just stay home. So, I mean, these this group of young players that are coming through now and that Berhalter is calling upon are used to having to be 
in multiple roles in different positions and they're more technical in other areas of the field. It's not like, oh, he's a center back. He's just going to boot the ball. Mm. Like, it's it's just a different animal, and I think that's something he can do with these young players. This is why my game never succeeded in, in the modern day. It's <laughs> was not, that your tactic, was it? Boot the, boot the ball and tackle guys. <laughs> yeah. so you were the first person picked in kickball, too, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was much better at that than I was at soccer. But. <laughs> Uh, but before we move on, uh, this will make a nice little transition, actually. Um, but we'll talk about LAFC and, and a couple of different games that happened in Major League Soccer over the international break. But you and I spoke about this earlier on, Kindra. Centre-back for the United mm -hmm. States. Walker Zimmerman was left out, mm -hmm. and he did say to the press the other day that it motivates him. Mm -hmm. I must admit, when I saw Omar Gonzalez come onto the field, I thought to myself... No doubt about it, you, you have been one of the pristine centre-halves in your day for the United States. Personally now, though, I think he's, his days are probably gone where he starts for the U.S. moving forward. Not saying he can't be a part of the roster, but moving forward, say, for example, the U.S. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here. The U.S. have a World Cup qualifying game tomorrow, let's say, for example. Who do you start at centre-back? Steve, I'll throw the question to you as well. I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, he threw me under the bus. Is there anything? I, I, I apologize. Think, I, I think. I think what sometimes is missed in the U.S. center back situation is trying to find not just who are your two best center backs, but what pairing is going to work together. Because how often have we seen it in even with Minnesota United? How can they complement each each other? How can they feed off of each other? How can they make up for the other's weaknesses? They don't have to be exactly the same. How do they communicate? All of these things are so important. I thought Walker Zimmerman did really well in the January camp. Wasn't super stiff competition then either. You know, they played a Panama side that wasn't particularly strong, a Costa Rica side that's going through some changes with their roster. So how how, how is that partnership going to develop and how do you partner it up? I think Omar Gonzalez's time has come and gone. I didn't even think he was that great the last cycle. Um, I know he's played well in Mexico and he's done some good things there, but... Um, I also listened to Walker Zimmerman say that he needed to be, you know, he was disappointed that he didn't get called in for this camp and Burhalter had let him know ahead of time that he was looking at some other guys. But ultimately, I don't think it's just about who are the two best. It's who is going to work well together and complement each other. And I have a hard time trying to trying to figure out who that is because I feel like it's been a sore spot for, for a while now. Mm. I mean... You need athleticism, you need speed. I mean, look at the attacking players, on, you know, on these other countries and what they're going to do and what they're capable of. And I just think, um, you know, there's a few options. We talked about other, even other players. I mean, you mentioned Tim Ream is just, you know, looking out, kind of out, outplayed and out of his sorts. But, you know, Matt Miazga, Walker mm. Zimmerman, um, Omar Gonzalez, I think, you know, needs to move on. But what are your other options? Do well, we do we do we go from the pool of MLS because there are some really good American center backs in this pool now? I mean, I I don't even know. You look around this country and you're like, my goodness, there has got to be better options. But I don't know why we haven't found them yet, mm. or if you're having to move someone out of a different position and try them in that space. I'm I'm not sure what the correct answer is. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I Unfortunately, don't... we can only say who we don't want there right now, <laughs> which isn't necessarily a positive. No, I don't suspect there is. A right answer, really. As Kendra quite rightly says there, Steve, a lot of it depends on the pairing and, and particularly the opposition as well. But one player we didn't even mention because he's hardly kicked a ball for the U.S. national team for, for a little while now is, is Parker at uh, yes. New York Red Bulls. Yes. 
him and Aaron Long have created a formidable yeah. partnership as well, you know, and I wonder if that's something that Greg Berhalter is looking at moving forward, you know, but for, for me, John Anthony Brooks has, yes. has got to start. He's yep. the most the most athletic, mm-hmm. mobile. He reads the game the way he plays. He organizes very well. Exactly, and, and he, he obviously plays in Bundesliga as well at a, a very high level. I think somebody alongside him um, has to be the way forward. I, I, I like Miazga. Mm-hmm. seen Miazga now from a very young age. Saw him play for New York Red Bulls here and mm-hmm. Saw him, I remember commentating on a, on a game in the Dutch Eredivisie where he was playing for um, for Vitesse and, and, and thought he looked mm-hmm. head and shoulders above most other centre-backs in the league as well. Um, lost his way a little bit on loan at Reading at the moment, so our very own Vito Manoni will know him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm intrigued to see what his next step is moving forward. But Steve, what, where do you stand on this? What, what would you like to see moving forward? Yeah, I, I don't think... I, th- I think my, my knowledge of the, the U.S. men's national team backline is not as deep as it should be. Like, I, I'm... You know, I've, I've watched a bunch of games. I haven't gotten to see guys like Jonathan... Like John Brooks that much. Um, I... But I definitely, you know, Kendra is saying about that pairing, I think, is, is really huge. I think just in terms of the sport in general, that that pairing at center back, you see, I mean, having watched Minnesota United, you see, like, the different pairings. You see how different the game can look, depending on who those guys are. Then they have different sort of it, – it's interesting to me because they, they play – they're sort of playing the same position nominally. But, you know, one, one guy will end up sort of taking one role that's a little mm-hmm. bit of a different shade. The other guy takes a little bit of a different role. One guy might be a little more athletic. One guy might be a little bit – taller one guy might be a little better in the air one guy might be a little bit tougher in terms of you know defending that box you know so there's sort of it, it, it's finding that matchup the tim parker aaron long thing is interesting the idea of, of saying like find a successful pairing mm-hmm. and then bring that pairing wholesale into the team in some ways could be could be an interesting option rather than trying to sort of like develop the chemistry i mean as you said it's not a qualifying year right now you're going for the gold mm-hmm. cup so you have some time but maybe you do find that pairing uh, you know, as, 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 as they work on it. But I do think that that idea of who is not just who, who are the two individual best players to put there, but who exactly. works well together is really they important. They have to complement each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimately they really do and make up for each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, and the communication I just think can't be underplayed in those positions. And I've always thought that even with a goalkeeper sitting behind them, I mean, those three players, the communication that has to go on there because of how much organizing they're doing and the view they have of the field in front of them to direct traffic I just think you can't understate the the chemistry, and I, I you could be right on. Maybe you bring a partnership that already exists, and you mm. try it in the national team and see what happens. You know, I mean, who knows? We'll wait and see. Let's take a breath, shall we? Let's move on from international football. Next up, we'll talk all about the weekend in Major League Soccer. Welcome back to Loons Weekly. Callum Williams alongside Kindred E. St. Aubin and Steve McPherson. Right, let's talk about Major League Soccer, shall we? Uh, as we mentioned in the first segment of the show, all about international football. Uh, the United States very, very busy, of course. Um, let me ask you, Kindra, about LAFC. Uh, for many, they, are, I, they, they will be identified as the cream of the crop, as the best in the West. They left it late against RSL, mm-hmm. and it came from a wonder goal from Walker Zimmerman. It did, and we were just talking before we came in here that we couldn't believe that it didn't get voted uh, goal of the week, and I don't know how you know exactly that goal voting is broken down, but a wonder strike from your center back, you know, stepping up in a time where nobody clearly stepped to the ball because they're not expecting that from Walker Zimmerman. But, um, you know, I think RSL played better than I expected. I think that's a tough game to go and, and play at LAFC in front of that crowd and um, played them tough till the very end, and maybe... 
LAFC is expected to be right at or near the top of the Western Conference. Maybe not as dominant in some of these performances to start the season as some would expect in their second season under Bob Bradley. But nonetheless, a win is a win. It's three points. And at the end of the day, that's what it's going to go down as. And um, a nice finish by Walker Zimmerman to get them another W on the, on the weekend. And a weekend again where, um, you know, a lot of teams were on a break. And finally, Steve, finally, 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 evidence that the code can be cracked at New York Red Bulls. Orlando City went there and won. And I must admit, myself, amongst a plethora of other human beings watching Major League Soccer, gave Orlando City no chance mm-hmm. whatsoever. And the icing was put on the cake because it was a goal from a former Red Bulls player and Sasha Kleshton to win it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that both of these things speak to the fact that very little in the early going of this MLS season has gone according to plan and in terms of how we expected things to go. Um, you know, if you looked at that game, uh, you know, at in L.A., RSL coming in with two guys suspended and a number of internationals missing, uh, you were like, oh, this is going to be a walk mm-hmm. for LAFC. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Same thing with, with the Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. We sort of every, every week you're like, well, the Red Bulls, it's a fortress. You know, this is, this is how they play. It, ha- it hasn't gone that way. If I was going to tell you that, you know, there was, a, there was a team out there who would be winless with one loss and, and two ties and it only scored two goals, would you think that's Atlanta United? <laughs> like if I told you there was a team that had two wins and a loss and, you know, had scored seven goals, and that's FC Cincinnati, like, mm. would you expect that at all? So I think that, you know, the, the you know individually these games are all unusual. It's odd that there's a lot of them uh, all over the place, it seems like, in the early going of the season. It's pure unbridled carnage, isn't it? <laughs> well, and I that just it. goes to show you, too, that you just when a team goes against his former club, you just never know what's going to happen. But to me, the surprising thing, too, about the Orlando City Red Bulls is not just the victory, but that the Red Bulls were shut out at home. You know, and I, I just wonder what kind of form, um, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips is going to be in, I think. It, it's tough to say. I mean, he's one of the great goal scorers. Don't go there. Don't. No, I know. We do I know. This every well, you know year. how, and you know how I feel about him. I'm, I think he's fantastic. But he disappeared in the playoffs last year when the games mattered, and and I haven't, you know, maybe seen quite the sparkling. Now he always seems to come through in the regular season games, and he, I mean, he's had some great finishes against Minnesota United. So we'll see. But I just wonder, you know, don't poke and, the bear. And Chris, yeah, I know. <laughs> and Chris Harmis's first full season as head coach, and they kind of petered out of. The playoffs, and they petered out of um, CCL. So we'll see what the Red Bulls have in store this season. Staying in New York, we'll talk about uh, a mouthwatering Friday evening clash mm-hmm. in Major League Soccer. NYCFC on the road to Toronto FC, and we are expecting a new designated player to grace us with his presence. Uh, Pozuelo, the Spanish midfielder who's come across from Genk, the best team in Belgium. Uh, he's been identified as the best player to play in Belgium. Now he is uh, a Toronto FC player, very much as well, Kendra, built as the Sebastian Jovinko replacement. No pressure then? No, no pressure at all. I mean, no, I mean little shoes to fill, but yet big shoes to fill, right? Um, but he seems ready to go. I mean, they had the press conference from the other day. He said he's fit and ready to play on Friday, and I'm sure there's no better place for him to go and try to debut against NYCFC. It's kind of their sort of cross-the-border rival. Um and I think TFC is still working their way back into proving that they they can accomplish something this season. They're clearly off to a better start in the MLS season yeah. than they were last year. And, and maybe fizzling out of the CCL early, you know, was, uh, was a good thing for them. So they could just focus on MLS and get all that other stuff out of the way. Sebastian Jovinko going out early on. Um, and they can focus on some of these new pieces. Josie Altidore hopefully coming back to health. It's been a long time since he's really played Michael Bradley, feeling good about what he's doing. 
and made some changes in their roster. And then, of course, a new GM. So um, with Ali Curtis. So they've mm. got a lot going for them. But this could be a really fun game to watch. And NYCFC, last we checked, they're trying to replace David Villa. So you've got two teams, two clubs trying to replace mega stars with the ability, you know, different types of players. But the, the guys that drew in the tickets that mm. drew people to the, the field and it'll be a fun one to watch. And I'm I'm excited to see Pozuelo because of all that's been talked about him. Yeah. Pozuelo is going to be really interesting. I think it's one of the fun things about MLS, the fact that you have, you know, big difference-making players coming in the middle of the season. I mean, not even the middle of the season. It's a couple weeks in, right? <laughs> it feels but, like, you know, like we, You think about seeing Darwin come into to Minnesota United last year and how that made a change. Uh, you know, you've seen Matricia be it be good. He's, mm. I think he's taken something like 19 shots in the first three games or something. He's not, he hasn't, you know, he's only has one goal, but, mm. uh, but he is going to be dangerous. Uh, that's going to be, that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, I think that NYCFC, they've been interesting at home as well. You expect NY, NYCFC, you know, it's like, it's a tough stadium to play in. Yes. It hasn't been that for them so far this season. So No, let's not forget as well that Herbert, the new f- yeah. uh, forward for NYCFC, may very well make his Major League yep. Soccer debut as well, score boatloads of goals in Croatia. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how that translates uh, moving forward. It, a game like this, it, it just drips in luxury in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Toronto against New York City. I, I love that the big city... Ga- is it like that in, in other sports, Steve? You know, the NBA, where, when the Raptors play at the Knicks and all, is it the same sort of feeling? I, not for the Raptors, I don't think. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think, that, I think that, that Canada is still... I mean, I think that Toronto Winnipeg fans, in the wild? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not the same, like, big city feel, but, I mean, if you're talking, like, cross-the-border kind of stuff, oh, right, yeah. okay. you know, like, NBA, like, Raptors and... I mean, and certainly, I mean, I think certainly, obviously, these teams are good at different times. I mean, yeah. the Knicks are no longer the marquee matchup yes. in terms of, like, their their quality. Like Patrick Ewing days. Right, right. But there's always something about the Knicks versus the Celtics, yes. about, you know, the Celtics Big versus cities. the Sixers. You know, there is mm-hmm. there is kind of this feel there. Um, you know, the the Lakers versus the Clippers. You know, they mm-hmm. both are in L.A. The Clippers are always the, the, the younger brother. Uh, but now the they're doing ugly well. ugly stepchild type of syndrome. Yeah, exactly. But now the Clippers are in the playoffs. The Lakers are not. So, mm-hmm. it, I mean, those kind of things are fun. You know, Toronto, obviously, a, a, a team... Toronto FC, I'm talking about here, a team that was, um, you know, sort of running on empty for years and years and years, and then like have became good. You know, NYCFC obviously associated with Manchester City. There's a lot of money there. There's they, they become teams that are marquee teams, and then again being on the East Coast, it's a border battle, right? There's like a, there's a little. We hate Canada, right? I, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Your word's not mine. <laughs> Where the heck are the Yankees opening weekend? At NYCFC got that bill. I'm, I just was thinking about that playing in Yankee Stadium. I'm sure that, I don't know, sure how the Yankees feel about that. Usually they kind of own that space, but. Um, it's a new era. Yeah, Soccer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Producer yeah. Morgan can find out for us, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, I know what we'll be doing Friday night after training. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, watching yes. that match oh, yeah. somewhere. Can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. Um, if, forgive my <laughs> my obvious naivety of the NBA there. I, I just have no idea who's, who's good and whatnot. Whereas I know Toronto you do. Is, Toronto is very good. They're just constantly... When they had Chris Bosh 10 years ago. Or yeah, whatever well, and they have Kawhi Leonard now. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing very well. They were always dogged by LeBron in the Eastern Conference and sort of had a complex about this. They were the, the ones seed and they still lost to LeBron so uh, LeBron is out of the Eastern Conference now and Toronto has always been very good but they have kind of that chip on their shoulder always as being they're the only Canadian NBA team you know now that the, the a long time ago the Vancouver Grizzlies moved to Memphis so uh you know it's uh, they have they just have that sort of chip on their shoulder okay I just can't believe they've not been punished yet for the amount of handballs that occur throughout the game but uh, <laughs> never mind anyway next up on our Loons Weekly podcast we concentrate on Minnesota United away to New England Revolution
Hello there, welcome back to Loons Weekly. Callum Williams, Kendra D. St. Aubin and Steve McPherson here for you. Right, Minnesota United on the road again. Match week number four for the Loons. This time, Kendra, it comes at a rather precarious New England revolution. Now, I know, and we'll dive deeper into this for sure, but I know you know Brad Friedel because of your connections working at Fox alongside him. Right now, it's obvious to say it's not going very well for him. I mean, if there's if there's a hotter hot seat, you know, I'm not sure what it is. What do you think? Well, I mean, not necessarily for the firing, but just the pressure. Okay. I mean, he's in the he's only a handful of games into his second season. But when you have performances, and Adrian Heath can speak to this, I'm sure, in his first two years, where you're trying to rework the roster, you're trying to get the players, and you're trying to change the culture. And granted, Adrian Heath was coming from you know, NASL and and Brad Friedel's taking over an MLS club, but it's still a matter of trying to implement your authority, your style, your culture, and yet you have a certain amount of the roster that's there from before. You're trying to work your way into bringing new players. But then, like he said in his post-game press conference after their loss to Cincinnati, and he said again on the week, and they had a closed-door meeting, if the, the bare minimum I'm asking of you as professionals is to come out and work hard and you can't do that, where are we? Mm. And I don't think he's wrong in saying that. It's just this touchy-feely society we live in nowadays where, like, don't want to be too hard on people or yell at people or, you know, criticize or whatever. Are, are players going to get mad? Are they going to go the other way where they have to be held accountable? I mean, coaches have to do a certain amount to motivate, mm. but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's your responsibility to show up and, and, and implement the game plan and go on the field and do what you've been in training all week and they gave Brad Friedel a hard time for his halftime speech as well. And I just think that's a tough one. You have a you have a bunch of first halves like they had where they didn't look so hot. And then they come out in the second half and seem to rebound. And, um, you know, haven't won at home, haven't won on the season, haven't scored at home. So there's all these things that I think he's having to deal with and try to manage. What part is the staff's responsibility and what part is the player's responsibility? And you know, you have those closed-door meetings, and this early in the season, it can go one of two ways. You either fire the guys up and everybody gets on board, or they go the other way, and you're like, up you-know-what creek because, you know. <laughs> what the, creek the, is that? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the players, you know, t- turn against you or feel like you're throwing them under the bus. But I got the feeling, also listening from the players' post-game pressers, that they also were saying we it wasn't good enough from us. Mm. You know, we didn't come out. We didn't even give 50%. Like, we... We didn't. We weren't good enough on the day. Our effort wasn't good enough, and that's the one thing we can control. So I think they're on the same page, but we'll see. Steve, this is a bad time for Minnesota to catch him, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. Because they're getting blasted all week in the media. National yeah. media's got the attention. MLS is doing stories on it. You know, it's not just New England. They've had this closed-door meeting. He ranted at halftime. He ranted post-game. I think this is a tough time for Minnesota to catch him, and hopefully Minnesota comes out the aggressor and ready for it because New England can't have another performance like that at home. Yeah, I said much the same thing earlier this week that I I, I had sort of rather wished that that the reps had sort of handled their business a little yeah, bit better. At least got a draw or at least yeah, something like that. Something. that they'd be like, oh, okay, we're doing okay because yeah. they're obviously you know like the, the 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 roster. There's a certain amount of um, you know disarray period. There's an adjustment period, but to get them on the back of mm-hmm. a real fire being lit under their you know what's to borrow yes. your, your phrase there. So you know that 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 can be a dangerous moment to catch a team, and we saw it you know with Minnesota United against the Galaxy that the yes. Galaxy came out very aggressive yes. early after on. a terrible performance at Dallas. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. it can just it can happen. You can catch a team at the wrong time, and you hope. Minnesota's ready for it. Yeah. It's been a, a borderline cataclysmic start for Revolution. And, and mm. I think um, the, the one thing which which I thought was was exceedingly interesting was the debate now, which has been had many a time about this league, 
is there enough pressure on the players that yeah. play in this league, and, and particularly those that aren't doing so well? Mm-hmm. Because Brad Friedel pointed out there's no relegation, mm-hmm. and there's there's no punishment for finishing bottom of the league and whatnot. And you and I were, were talking about this. You're rewarded with the draft pick. Uh, well, correct, yeah, which is complete and utter nonsense in my opinion. I, I understand the, the need for parity and everything, yeah. but... The, you know, that's another debate for another day. But I, I for, for me, Kendra, there, there has to be something where you are punished for finishing bottom of the East or bottom of the West. Now, I don't know what that punishment is, right. whether it's a points deduction or for, for next season or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be something because Brad Friedel, at the end of the day, is right, isn't he? A hundred percent. I mean, and we talked about this a couple times since his rant post game, And then also we talked about it at training. Um, we brought it up in passing to Adrian Heath because he's clearly played in these leagues around the world that have, you know, people waiting for you at your car and get to beat you up and yelling things <laughs> at you. And and those were Brad Friedel's first words. And then I just echoed them to Adrian Heath saying, you know, what, are you, what did you think about his comments? And this league is not ready for pro-rel. I think we agree yeah, on that. Agree. They're not yeah. in a position for that. They're not, they're not the EPL. They're not, you know, these other places around the world where you can – have that kind of pressure, but there does have to be something figured out. And I don't know if it's monetary. I don't know if it's, I, I don't know. And, and even in passing, we mentioned it to Dr. McGuire today, walking through the office when we were talking about the new England revolution. And, and he agreed that the pressures in this league are just not the same. So if you're not an individually motivated player and you, as a coach, you can't necessarily motivate them. You know, you can only do so much. Where are you left? What is the thing that's going to, you know, get them going every day. I mean, Adrian talked about a story where they they hadn't even been that poor on the season and they lost a couple games, but they were still like fifth from the bottom when he was playing and the security came to him and was like, I'll take Jane and the kids out back. You know, you guys, you go out this other door. And he was like, what? We, we're not even that bad. Like, what's going on? But there, it's just a different animal. And I don't know, you've, you've grown up with those leagues. What What's the answer here? I don't know if you have an equivalent. No, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I agree that this league, it's not that this league isn't ready for pro rel i and i say this with all due respect i i don't think the likes of usl yes. are ready for a prom- promotion to major league soccer as well and, sure. I, and look if i was wrong there i'd happily put my hands up and i'm sure yeah. there are certain incidences that that were ready you yeah. look at cincinnati for example they were clearly ready but yeah. it's it's one of a handful of teams you know and and I, I hope that changes one day i really really do but at the moment i just don't think it's quite ready um steve how, how does this work in other sports like how because there's no pro well in other sports. Right. So is this an issue in the NBA, the NFL? Yeah, it was actually something I wanted to bring up, which is interesting because you sort of touched on the, the draft thing that mm-hmm. you get you get a high draft pick for finishing at the bottom. The thing is, is that, you know, in the in the NBA, there's, tank. there's active tanking because it's because it has become a strategy because the thing is, is that a high draft pick can change an entire team. You know, it changes the fortunes of an entire team for you know, five years, basically, uh, to start building a new team. The thing in MLS is that high draft picks don't mean as much. No. Uh, mm-hmm. and so you have 11 players on the field, too. Yeah. Like, if they're the each starter and a five yeah, yeah. on the NBA floor. Yeah, each player doesn't make as much of a difference. And then furthermore, just in terms of the way the, the, the super draft is, yeah. you're just not usually getting more than a, you know, even those players who are the, the best players you get are not always difference makers up at the top, you know. So it's almost like, you know, an NBA team is like, we're not doing well. Well, we just got to pull the plug, right? In MLS, it's sort of, I think it can be sort of even more apathetic than that because you're not even like, well, let's go for that top draft pick. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of teams beg out of the second round of the MLS draft. You know, like, we were all on the phone for it. It's like, yeah. they're just like, oh, well, you know, we're not going to use these people. Pass, right, they're, just, they're all passing. <laughs> so, you know, so that it's like the, the consequences even there, you don't even get a real big benefit 
you know, <laughs> you know, like that draft pick is not even a huge benefit. Right. So you, I think you, it ends up being even more apathetic. I think you're totally right though about the, the, the pro rel thing. It's not just a matter of, you know, is it okay to relegate MLS teams, but like, how do you avoid simply promoting? I mean, we'll see how FC Cincinnati does. They've obviously done well in terms of this buildup, but in the early going here, but like, how do you avoid just simply promoting a USL team and then sending them immediately back? And then you just end up with this sort of bouncing back and forth at that yeah. level because USL has improved a lot, but the yes. stability of second division soccer in the U S has yeah. obviously been very, oh. it, not there. It's been very volatile. <laughs> so, you know, I, it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a debate they have in the NBA all the time tanking. And if that's good, uh, you know, how they have to hide it, how they try not to admit it, um, you know, whether it is happening or not happening and all this kind of stuff. So it's a problem that they're also looking at as well. So is it bonuses for not finishing it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I'm just saying like, I'm trying to, first of all, money motivates everybody. Mm. And whether that's as a club and you get more money to use or you get money taken away to that you can't use on future players. I don't know if it's TAM or it's GAM. I mean, they've gone through this whole process of yeah. giving more money to try to get these outside players and stuff. But maybe it's something where now some of some meaningful money could be taken away or that it's, you know, or if it's it's player bonuses or, you know, like a, a team bonus, but it gets doled out to the players based on appearances. I don't have a clue, but I also think the league's not ready for ProRail, not just because of the USL system, because the ownership is not going to sure. sign up for that. They didn't just put $150 million plus into buying in to then be relegated after sure. one year. I just don't think the owners would at this position that MLS is in now would sign on for that. They do have, I think, I think MLS has in terms of talking about that, like if you take away Tam or Gam or something yeah. like that, because of the structure, you do have more authority to do things like that than in the NBA where it's, you know, it's a different kind of system of team ownership. So, right. you know, there's certainly options like that, but then you also run into this problem of, you know, if you're just, if a team is bad and you're taking the opportunity right. to get better away from them, right. Like how do you, how do they stop being, right. Bad? How do they <laughs> build? Know? How do they go forward? Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Well, and you know, I mean, it being relegated is kiss of death. How many times have I heard you talk about, we've had, you know, cabin Uber rides with Manny talking about Aston Villa and everybody else. And like, oh my God, I don't want to go down because who knows how long it's going to take to get back up. I mean, guys legitimately, it's their livelihood and they know that they may not get out for quite some time if they're on a team that does get relegated. And there's just not that fear here. No, it, it I will tell you now, it kills clubs. Right. It absolutely long-term damages mm -hmm. clubs. And whilst the idea of pro rel is quite romantic in that yes. sense, the actual... Happening of this, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. everybody was out there. It like, is. It's like death. Everybody yeah. calling for pro rel. I was like, but not my team. Like, I yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I remember feeling that way in the NBA. You know, yeah. it's like, well, maybe there's too many teams. Maybe you need to like shrink the the market a little bit. You know, and it's like, well, what if we got rid of the Timberwolves? I'm like, no, nah, I don't. That. that <laughs> you know, so it's like it's easy to call for pro rel until your team gets the right. rel part of that. I guess. Oh dear. Um, okay, let's uh, let's refocus on on the Revolution hosting Minnesota United, Kindra. Uh, what are we expecting from the Loons in their fourth away game of the season? Well, I think, again, going back to this international break, a little bit of a revitalization. I think that all those weeks on the road for preseason and then three straight on the road and kind of getting closer and closer to this home opener as we had all these events at Allianz Field, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We can see it with two road games left. And I think that the guys looked lively in training this week. They were outside you know, still on turf, but outside in the sunshine, which it's amazing what a difference that can make, just getting the fresh air and, and being outside. So I'm expecting Adrian Heath to have this team ready in the sense that he knows what Brad Friedel and the New England Revolution have been going through. 
in these first three or four days of training this week, he knows what it's like when you lay into a team like that. And so they need to be ready for it. He knows that they cannot have a start like they did against LA Galaxy, where they come out in that first 45 and kind of sitting back on their laurels and, and you know, letting the Galaxy take it to them. And the Revolution is probably capable of that because of the blasting they've taken. So I think that tactically he may change a little bit. There may be some tweaks in the lineup based on international duty, who comes back healthy, who doesn't what kind of look he wants to go for on the road. You know, we tried um, with speed up top with Romario in the first few games, and Romario's just come back from his international duty, so maybe you change something up with the look there on the wings. You know, how to, it was noted today that Rasmus Schuler took a big, bit of a knock, so he's a game-time decision mm-hmm. um, on Saturday. So um, I think that this this gives him an opportunity and, um, you know, to, to kind of hit the refresh button and make some changes if he would like and... I, I just hope that this doesn't become a quote-unquote trap game because of just you think, oh, New England's not looking so hot. Right. But also they're going to be firing all cylinders because they've been put on, on notice, basically. Interesting thing as well, if you look at the Revolution schedule as well, Steve, next up for them after this is Columbus Crew away, which is difficult at the moment because of the yeah. way Caleb Porter has got them playing at home. Then they host Atlanta United and New York Red Bulls. So from what Kendra and I have heard... Everybody at the Revolution is looking at this game thinking we should really win this to get our season underway again. Yep. What would a win do for either side? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be a big, in some ways it'll be a big test for Minnesota United because we heard early on in the season, you know, after after Minnesota United went down a goal and then came back, um, Adrian was saying, you know, this is a different set of players. Yeah. Uh, this is, they don't have the baggage. There's not this, here we go again. They don't, they don't think like that. But there's two things. There's going down early against the run of play, which is sort of what happened. And then there's starting, and then there's, coming out flat, which is a little bit of what happened against the Galaxy. They didn't look, I mean, flat, flat. The Galaxy looked really energetic, I think. Yes. But, you know, there is that question of how do you get them to come out fired up after a week off, you know, uh, after coming out, eh, maybe not as energetic as they should have against the Galaxy. Um, and that would be another element because, again, as Kendra was saying about the Revs, that they looked flat and then sort of picked up in the second half. That sounds real familiar to me from <laughs> from past Minnesota United yep. teams. So is this team going to... Uh, is that not going to be a thing for this team? Like if this team comes out energetic and gets the win and does it authoritatively, I think that'll show that they can, you know, they're not subject to some of that stuff for the revs. I mean, it's going to be big because like you said, they've got, they've got a tough slate of games coming up. It would be good to get a little bit of mojo going, you know, at least heading into those, those, those tough games that are coming up and the revs again, uh, you know, they have a lot of their issues I mean, there's, 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 there's talent issues. There's in terms of like, who's that out there on the field, but there also seems to be sort of a psychological element, psychological element, which Kendra alluded to in terms of, um, uh, Friedel coming in and sort of building this team. This is a step toward building the team. Like Adrian talked about this a lot in the first two, two seasons. How does a team come to believe in itself? Like, how do they develop that? And the way you develop it, Adrian said all the time is win. (laughs) If the team starts winning, that's how they start believing in themselves. So if you're going to try to get anything off of you know, Columbus, you know, uh, in Columbus, you know, or, or tough home games against some tough visiting squads, you're, you're going to need a win here to start building up that momentum, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Right, before we go, we always end the podcast like this. Predictions, Kendra. I think you got to go first. You get to ask <laughs> us all the questions. You have to give your prediction first before we give ours. Okay. You can't, then you can't steal some, you know, some <laughs> knowledge from us. Okay, that's fair. Um, I will go Minnesota United victory by three goals to one. Okay, I'm going to go 2-1. I do think the Revs finally score at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be nice to get Vito another shutout, but I think the Revs finally put one away at home. They'll be itching for that, and you got Teal Bunbury playing against yeah. Minnesota. There's always a little fire there, even though it's in New England. 
And uh, but Minnesota comes away with a with a much needed victory before they head on the road to the Red Bulls. Man, I was gonna say two one also. Oh, too bad. I was gonna I was gonna sort of try you can, to you can do that too. for different reasons. No, 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 no. I was gonna just go conservative because I'm by nature a pessimistic human being <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when it comes when it comes to sports. Um, but I'm gonna go the other direction. I'm gonna say three zero. Shut up. Wow, we get, nice. We get another clean sheet for Vito. So well, if that happens. I'll make you another cup of tea on Santa's Blues. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> right, guys, thanks very much for joining us. The New England Revolution host Minnesota United, 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. Fox Sports North Plus is where you can watch it. You can listen to the match on Score North. For all the latest on Minnesota United, Allianz Field, and more, make sure you download the MNUFC app. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to a Minnesota United production.